Um, I do want to start by giving a massive thank you to Jamie. Uh, Jamie shared how last week he got a phone call on the Wednesday to see if he would swap with me. I am very thankful he did um, because I ended up having emergency wisdom tooth extraction last week. And by last Sunday, I could, was still in soft food, never mind opening my mouth fully. So I was very glad that you stepped in. Um, but also, um, I'm, Jamie, I'm really glad you're on the teaching team. I'm absolutely so delighted about this. I remember one of my first memories of Central was meeting outside St Anne's and prayer walking around the city. And at that stage, Jamie was a youth pastor in Kamani, and he came with a group of young people to support us and be with us. And I'm just delighted to fast forward down the line, and you're still doing that, and you're still part of this. So thank you so much for stepping in or swapping with me last week, and I'm delighted you're on this team. How are we all doing? You doing okay? Um, as I've been thinking about this uh, series, and I, I'm finding it quite a phenomenal teaching series. I think Dave has done an amazing job in opening up this book, as Jamie did last week, and helping us engage with the content and helping us engage with God. And, and I have found it really quite powerful, because I think over these Sundays, we've had a sense of meeting with God. Worship has felt deeper more significant. And the content, I think, has stirred up some deep work in us. God is at work in our lives. And as I think about this, I can't help but think our souls have been crying out for this, haven't they? I, I don't know about you, but I think we've taken a battering over the last two years. The pandemic has completely altered life moved into lockdown alongside a fear of an unknown pandemic. We moved into a season of significant change across work, family, life. And I've, I think we've been somewhat battered by the change over the last two years. I think it's taken its toll. I think it's impacted us, and not necessarily in the same ways. But I wonder perhaps if we're carrying some scars. Financial scars, maybe. Scars of loneliness, of loss questioning, anxiety, even social anxiety. And yet life hasn't stopped. It's not like during this we got to hit pause. And so we've had to navigate some really, really significant life moments in completely different ways. And I wonder if perhaps our souls, if the very centre of our beings are at a season now where they're crying out for deep peace, deep restoration, deep work that we know consciously or subconsciously only God can do. And so I wonder if there's a timing factor and if individually and corporately we're in, if you like, a sweet spot where we know we need Jesus. And so we're ready to respond. We're ready to submit. We're ready to lean in. Or perhaps God in his infinite generosity, is simply pouring out right now. And we are the undeserved beneficiaries of his goodness, his gentle goodness that transforms our lives by his presence. Regardless, I don't know if it matters, but what I am, I'm committed to leaning in. And so this morning, we find ourselves in chapter two, the letter to the church in Thyatira. If I can be personal for a moment, I loved how last week Jamie shared how he loves 
Revelation. I have to confess, it is probably a book that I have avoided. It's a book uh, of controversy, of debate winning, and neither of those are conversations I'm particularly interested in engaging with, because often I think participants are left feeling lesser rather than thirsty or curious. But this engagement in Revelation, this reading has opened me up to the intimacy in Revelation. Our Saviour is calling us to him. He is commending the church for the things they are doing well. And he is challenging them about some aspects that they are blind to or inactive about. Because it's intimacy with Jesus that matters. And this relationship with God is exactly that, a relationship. And he is challenging us because salvation and the work of salvation is actually the most important endeavor any of us will engage in. And so this morning, I want you to hear afresh the call of Jesus from Jesus. I want you to push through the complex and descriptive language and hear your king calling you. I do think that I've appreciated that detail matters. And I think for John, the words here matter, but I I can't do justice to them all this morning. And so allow me to highlight a few aspects. I don't know if you like some of the Sky Arts programs. I have developed a little bit of an addiction to uh, a Sky Arts series called Portrait of the Year. And I just find it absolutely fascinating watching these spectacular artists capture the celebrity or their sitter in front of them. And sometimes it's a phenomenally true likeness. And other times have captured the essence of the person or something about them. And I don't know if you've watched it, but these, there's typically three artists and they spend four hours painting somebody who sits for them. And at the end of the four hours, they allow the sitter to see the portraits and they turn around the easels. And, and so I find sometimes I'm like, the sitter's allowed to choose a painting. And sometimes I find myself, I would pick that one. But it's really interesting. Sometimes you can see the sitters are visibly, emotionally moved when they see a picture. There is something that has caught their attention. There's something of themselves that has been revealed. There's something that's caught them. And I want to invite you this morning to be visibly moved by a fresh image of Jesus, calling you to all that salvation brings, calling you not to settle for a half-baked version, calling you to pull away from the culture of the day that can seduce and trick us into half living. None of this is easy. None of this is without doubt and pain and maybe even tears. But I'm holding to that the one who is calling us is worth following. And when that is a fact, we have to be all in. The one who is calling us is worth following. And when that is a fact, we have to be all in. So let me start by reading through the text that we're focusing on this morning. Revelation chapter one begins with these words. It says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written it because the time is near. Did you catch that? Blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written it because the time is near. I love that. And then it says, written in the scroll, what you will see and send to the seven churches. And so we're turning to the letter of Thyatira. 
To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, that you are doing more now than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants in sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immortality, but she is unwilling. So I'll cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will pay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. The one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I've received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It matters who is speaking. Did you catch who was speaking? To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God. These are the words of the Son of God. He speaks. This isn't new. We know this. We know we follow a God who communicates, who wants to engage with us. But let's just stop and remember this morning, he speaks. And not just to the church in Thyatira. He wants to speak and communicate to all of us. So what might he be saying? These are the words of the Son of God. This is the only time in Revelation where Jesus is described as the Son of God. And so it's interesting how he underlines who he is speaking to with the phrase Son of God. He's communicating to three groups here. Uh, as significant connects to the Jewish, the Christian, and the Roman context. To the Jews, he's reminding them that God's anointed kings as being God's son by adoption. He's underlining his kingship. To the Christians, he's reminding them that Jesus shares the raw qualities and character, character of the Father. He's underlining equality. And to the Romans, the rulers at the, t- at the time, he's challenging the Roman Empire to their claims of authority. The one who speaks carries authority. And the one who speaks is king. The one who speaks is equal. Add to that this visual description. These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire feet like burnished bronze. Eyes like blazing fire, feet like burnished bronze. Again, this helps to see Jesus. Eyes like blazing fire, divine vision and insight. He is the one with divine vision and insight. He is the one who speaks with divine vision and insight. And he is the one whose feet are like burnished bronze. That means a permanence, a trustworthiness, in contrast to the feet of iron and clay and human power. 
The one who speaks, the Saviour, King, Son of God, carries the characteristics of the Father, holds the power, sees the future, carries wisdom, holds a permanence and a worthiness. There's something so unique about that balance of power and trustworthiness, isn't there? I think today we have an inbuilt distrust of people in power. Because history, and even recent history, has shown how so many, too many, have abused that power and have been found not just wanting, but destructive. And so this is hard, but this is incredibly important. This is a game changer. Remember that note I I talked about, the portrait artist of the year? Allow yourself to see Jesus afresh this morning. Catch his image. Catch his character as you listen to this letter. We need to see Jesus today. We need to see him for who he is, not who we perceive him to be. We need to give ourselves time to let the truth of who he is settle into our very bones. And I think that's why I'm not rushing into the content, because I need to know the character and the authority of the speaker. We need to know the character and authority of the speaker. It matters who is speaking. Some of you might be aware that I am changing roles soon. I'm principal at Belfast Bible College, and at the end of February, I'll be moving on. I made this decision about six months ago. It wasn't spur the moment. It was well-considered, prayerful decision, coming from an overwhelming sense of new. God has new for me and an overwhelming sense of peace. And over these months, that's exactly how I have felt, peace. But the other week, I think the lack of having a plan hit home. And I was finding it hard. I like a plan. I'm a very purposeful person. I like pitching in. I like helping out. So what next, God? I mean, surely by now, I would know a bit more. And I was texting with a friend, just sharing the difficulty of not knowing. And I am sure you can relate to this. I think most of us have, been, have had times in our life where we did not know. Or we didn't make sense of what is happening. And so in this WhatsApp exchange, I am sharing my frustration about a lack of plan. And my friend replied with a corker. He said, maybe that's the plan. To which I replied, well, I'd like another plan, please. To which he said, he seems to prize intimacy with himself as a plan. He seems to prize intimacy with himself as a plan. That's it, isn't it? That's actually the tension that we live in right now in 2022. We're running around trying to stay safe and keep well. We're running around trying to find a place to work and serve. We're running around trying to find a salary so that we can live and give. And can I say, none of those things are wrong. They just aren't the main thing. All he wants is to share. All he wants is intimacy. And it's because he's the king with divine vision and insight. Because he carries permanence and trustworthiness. 
And this clashes. This clashes with my want to be helpful. Because intimacy just asks me to turn up and be honest. It clashes with my want to help others. Because intimacy with Jesus forces a shift where it's all about him helping. And it clashes with my want to be intentional because intimacy just asks me to be present. You all know that being helpful is good, helping others is good, being intentional is good, but this flips the priorities. Jesus is calling us close. Calling us close not just with his words, but with his being. So can I say, whatever, whatever is going on in your life right now, all I can say with certainty is that Jesus is trustworthy. I may not understand. I may struggle with the not knowing. But the simple, beautiful invitation to my life is to share it with him. And so that's my step today. That's my step. And when I think about who he is, what he is like, and that he wants to speak, it changes the tone. I need to see Jesus. All across Revelation is this invitation to see Jesus. Jesus is front and center. Do you see him? Do you know him? Are you allowing who he is to radically alter your life? Revelation reminds us of the deeply personal invitation each of us to share our lives with Jesus and allow him to do his salvation work in us. So with that backdrop, what is Jesus saying? Let's see what he's saying to the church in Thyatira. What's he saying? And he starts with, I know your deeds, your love and faith your service and permanence and perseverance and that you're doing more now than you did at first. I know. I love that start. I know you, he's saying. Remember, he's the one who sees with divine vision and insight. He's the one with permanence and trustworthiness and he knows this is not a feedback sandwich. This is not, I'll say something good, I'll say something hard, and I'll say something good. Jesus knows, and he's simply saying to his, the people, I see this. I know your deeds, I know your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and you're doing more. I know your love, I know your faith, I see your service, I see your perseverance, and I know that you're doing more than you did at first just stop there. What an amazing thing to be said. How amazing is it? This is what Jesus sees in this church. Love, faith, service, perseverance, and more. Jesus is commending them. He is writing to an assembly of Christians. It's actually in a much lesser significant city than the others we've covered so far. And you know, when I read that, it kind of made me think of Belfast. I mean, we're not London. We're not carrying the numbers of Paris and Madrid. We're not even carrying the numbers of major UK cities. But that little fact that Thyatira wasn't overly significant just underlines to me Jesus still sees 
He knows, and he isn't just interested in the bigger places, he commends them. And then he continues, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immortality, but she's unwilling. So I'll cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. Jesus challenges them for tolerating false teaching. As I've been reading around and preparing for today, a couple of things have struck me from various commentaries and and theologians. And it's that, and, and we've picked up on this already, that the letters in Revelation tend to hold really strong links to the Old Testament. And we can see that across them. And here in this one, we see that link to Queen Jezebel in the Old Testament. There's a drawing of stories, a linking with knowledge and understanding beyond just the current context. But also, if the core message of these letters is to hold to your salvation in Jesus, then I wonder if the message here is possibly about things that cause the church to engage in religious infidelity. Sometimes we overly focus on literal sexual engagement. Um, and, And I think we need to be aware of other insidious impacts on aspects of our world the impact of money and greed in our lives, impact of capitalism and individualism. And so I think here it's speaking to what is drawing you away from God? I think the challenge of this church is what are the things that have drawn you away from me, from Jesus? So what are the things that are drawing you away from Jesus? Where are you getting your needs met elsewhere? What is taking your attention? I wonder perhaps if this is a challenge, a reminder to have one God and to be aware of the things that bid for our attention. What draws you from Jesus? And so the question has to be who are you following? Are you focusing all of your attention on the Son of God? Or am I, are you being seduced by false prophets? Are there little ways of thinking that are drawing us away from God? This is tough. I I can't answer this question for you. But I would invite you to allow this letter to give you an opportunity for a little bit of soul searching. To hear the voice of Jesus. To call you. To remind you. To call you from your infidelity, your betrayal of him, your unfaithfulness. But also, did you notice how repentance is not just offered to the church in Thyatira, but to the false prophet and the teacher himself? Herself. Allow that to settle for a moment on you. Because repentance and faith are always an option. The offer of life is hers to refuse, not God's to withdraw. And those following her ways can also change direction and return to the truth. 
gently, gently, because I really think that's how God's been working in this series, as gently God is calling you out, remember there's this invitation, constant invitation to him. Sometimes I am, sometimes we are too quick to rule ourselves out. Things aren't good enough. I'm not good enough. It's too late. Then we need to hear this part of the letter that says repentance and faith are always an option. The letter continues. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold her teaching, have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold onto what you have until I come. Did you notice that line? Hold on to what you have until I come. Hold on to what you have until I come. To follow Jesus faithfully does not require elite knowledge or complex rituals. There's no greater burden to be borne other than to continue to keep on keeping on. Hold on to what they have. That's what Jesus is asking. Hold on to what you have. Grow in maturity, in love, faith, service and perseverance that the believers are already living in. Hold on. Hold on. And the letter continues, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end. Hold on. Hold on to Jesus. Determined resistance to the dominant ideology of the world around us. Overall, the rebuke to God's people in Thyatira is milder than elsewhere. Judgment will not come to them, but only to those who stick to misleading teaching or if they refuse to repent. Jesus wants all to return to the truth and continues to offer this compelling invitation. For those who stay true, there is nothing more they need to do other than to keep on keeping on the committed marathon of long obedience in the same direction. If I go back to my obsession with portrait artist of this year, this morning I have focused on some brushstrokes, if you like. I haven't had the time to explain every word or every dash of paint, but I hope I've given you an essence of this letter and helped you unpack it a little bit more to see Jesus to hear the commendation, to hear the invitation to come to Jesus. And so as I draw this to a close, let me finish with two questions. What do we learn about Jesus from this and what might we learn about ourselves today? For me, this letter reminds me who is center. It is Jesus. Above all, hear his voice this morning. See his character, hear his invitation. And not just this morning, but across your life, hear his voice. From this church, let's follow their example. Let's be people here in Central who are known for our love, faith, service, perseverance, and doing more than we did at first. And let's take that caution to be aware of the things that will pull us away from Jesus suggests us, take the place of our king and repent. Turn around, continue afresh in the long walk of obedience.
I think this is an incredibly uplifting letter because it draws my gaze, it draws our gaze to Jesus. It reminds us of who he is and the dynamic call on our lives. It reminds us to be aware of the shifting impact of the world around us and the impact it has on us, that it can suggest us away from allowing Jesus to be centre. And I think that is deeply personal. And so I encourage you to prayerfully consider the things that are causing you to drift from Jesus. But above all, hear afresh the call of Jesus on your life this morning. Stand tall in your love and faith, in your service and perseverance, and do more, and continue in that long walk of obedience.